Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. Happy Sunday. Lift your hands to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for an incredible day in your house. I thank you for your spirit that's here, Lord, bringing wisdom, bringing truth, bringing life. We open up our hearts today to hear the word of the Lord, that it would bring a great harvest into our lives, our family, and our future. In Jesus' name, somebody shout amen. Amen. So beautiful. Thank you, guys. You're incredible. That last song particularly, very powerful. We're going to be singing that in heaven. Holy, holy, holy. So learn it now so you don't feel awkward when you get there. Uh, It's so wonderful to be here. I haven't, I don't think I've preached for a while. I don't know what's going on. So here we go. So if I'm a little rusty, just just hang in there. Don't worry. I'm I'm learning how to ride the horse again. But but I I do have a word that's going to bless you. I have been excited to preach this word. This is the first time I have preached this word to any of Awaken's campuses. And I believe it is the word of the Lord for us as we stand at the beginning of a new year. So I want you to turn to the book of Judges. I love the Old Testament because it is, I think it it shows most clearly our need for a saviour, how desperately we need God. And we have the benefit of being able to learn from the successes and the mistakes and failures of those who have gone before us. So I'm gonna be sharing from the story of Samson today. The strongest man in the Old Testament. And what a story it is. His, uh, his life was foretold by an angel. Did you know that? There's only three incidences in the entire Bible where births are foretold by angels. Jesus, John the Baptist, and Samson. So that kind of puts him already in a pretty elite category. So the angel of the Lord visits his mother. We're going to pick up the story there in Judges chapter number 13, starting in verse 2. It says, Now there was a certain man from Zerah of the family of the Danites. Now the Danites were the tribe of Dan. They were the tribe of Judges, whose name was Manoah. And his wife was barren and had no children. And the angel of the Lord appeared to the woman and said to her, Indeed now, you are barren and have borne no children. But, somebody say but. But. This is where it gets exciting. You shall conceive and bear a son. Now therefore, look at this. So she gets this epic news and then she gets a warning. Now therefore, please be careful not to drink wine or similar drink and not to eat anything unclean. For behold, you shall conceive and bear a son, and no razor shall come upon his head. For the child shall be a Nazarite to God. So the Nazarite vow, just kind of fill in some blanks for you, meant that they couldn't touch anything unclean. They weren't allowed to even be around grapes. So it's not just not drinking. They weren't even allowed to be around a grape. If they saw a raisin, they had to run. A Nazarite, and, um, and he wasn't to cut his hair. You couldn't cut your hair, okay? So these were, this was the vow, and that was from the womb. 
and he shall begin to deliver Israel out of the hand of the Philistines. Let me paint the picture again because this is the time of Judges. Do you remember the banner over the book of Judges? And in the time of Judges, the people did what was right in their own eyes. Okay, so kind of like 2024. People are doing what was right in their own eyes. So God looks at this dark, ugly, depraved, wicked time, and he's like, you know what I need to do? I need to send a savior for that generation. And true to my epic form, I'm gonna find a barren woman who can't conceive, and I'm gonna put a miracle baby in her womb, and I have appointed this baby and prophesied this baby and promised over this baby that he will save Israel from the hand of their enemies. So like, wow, that never happened to my mom when I was born. So, so this is a special, this is a, I want you to understand how special this situation is. But for those of you who have read Samson's story, and I, I think it's one of the more popular kids' stories, we see that this, this incredible tale of miracle and prophecy and angelic visitation really ended up becoming a tragic tale of wasted potential. And, and when I look at our generation, we're in need of some saviors. We're in need of a hero generation like what Samson had the potential to be. So my question to you today and the title of my message is, how do we save Samson? We're called to make disciples and raise up a generation of young men and women who become saviors in their generation in a time when people do what is right in their own eyes. How do we make sure that they don't fall down the same pitfalls that Samson fell down? So, so I want to give you, I want to take you on a little journey, okay? You ready? Through the Old Testament. And I, I, what I want to do first is I want to, I want to show you the regression. How did this miraculous baby, this miracle baby, end up really for the most part train wrecking his life when there were prophetic words, prophecies, barren wombs open? How did it happen this way? All right, I'm glad you asked. Let's jump into it. Here's my first point or thought in the story of how things worked out the way they did for Samson. The first thought. He was pandered and not parented. All right, let me back that up with some scripture. Judges chapter 14, verses 1, and we're going to read to verse 3. Now, Samson went down to Timnah, just so you know, this is near the Philistines, okay? So he's an Israeli, meant to be the savior of Israel. He's hanging out in the land of the Philistines, already bad move. And he saw a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines, okay? So there's no girls in Israel, eh, Samson? So he went up and told his father and mother, saying, I have seen a woman in Timnah of the daughters of the Philistines. Now, therefore, get her for me as a wife. Okay, now, if this had have happened in my brutal, savage era, I would have had an imprint of a wooden spoon on my backside. But no, here he is, he's, he's telling his parents what to do. And then his father and mother said to him, is there no woman among the daughters of your brethren or among all my people that you must go and get a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Question mark. Oh, that underline that question mark. Circle that question mark because Samson is commanding and telling his parents and 
they are questioning him. This, my friends, is what I like to call a parental inversion. Parents are meant to command. I tell you what to do. And sure, you can question me. Well, why, mom, why? Well, let me tell you why. Because you're special and you're set apart. And there is an anointing on your life. You're not like everybody else, Samson. God has a special girl for you. And you don't have to go look into the outskirts to find her. God will bring her to you at the right time. But you're not messing with the Philistine girls. But there was a parental inversion here. And I'm not, I'm not sure if it was because he just wasn't any old regular baby. And he was a miracle baby. And they were a little bit fearful. And sometimes when we parent out of fear, we can pander instead of parenting. And this is what's happening here. They didn't want to see their miracle boy unhappy, but they didn't realize that he was going to end up being very unhappy because they chose to pander and not parent. So right now, mums and dads, we can take a lesson from the life of Samson. Are we parenting or are we pandering? I remember when uh, I was in Hawaii and... Uh, many, many years ago, and we're on the beach, and all of a sudden, I hear this ruckus, like this, eh, eh. I mean, this is meant to be the land of, like, ukuleles and breezes and peace and calm and cocktails and coconuts, but it, it's like, the, the peace is broken like a demonic record scratch as I hear this screaming, demanding cry from this little kid who would maybe have been two or three, standing on uh, on a little sunbed and throwing food at his mother's face. And I'm thinking to myself, oh no, he's going to get it. He's going to get it and he should get it, right? And, um, but the mother just lets this carry on. And she's, she's not, he's commanding her, eh, I don't want to eat, mom. I'm not hungry, mom, eh, eh, throwing food. And I'm like, oh shoot. At least take that little baby away before you spank him, but make sure you spank him. And um, anyway, she looks at him, I'll never forget. Oh, honey, are you tired? Oh, honey, and you, are you not hungry? Mommy's sorry, mommy's sorry. I'm like, what is wrong with this picture? And here's the truth of it. We train our children, we parent them when they're little kids, so they become healthy adults. So we might think, well, he's only two or he's only three. Well, yes, he's going to grow up to be 32. And if he throws uh, food in his wife's face when he doesn't like what he's being offered, I hope she gives him a backhander of her own. So I will say this today. Are we parenting or are we pandering? How we parent is how they will adult. That's why the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, Train up a child in the way they should go so when they're older, they won't depart from it. We think, oh, it's just childhood behavior. Oh, it's just teenagers. Tell those little teens and those cute little babies how to live their life. So when they get older, they aren't train wrecking every environment they're in because I found that the children don't grow out of bratty, spoiled stuff. They have to, it has to be trained out of them. It has to be parented out of them. And I'm talking, of course, in a very godly righteous way. Uh, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day and he was saying, I grew up in the era when you didn't, when you weren't asked, what would you like for dinner? <laughs> I bet you could say, what are we having for dinner? Right? But now so many options. 
So many options. Oh, I don't like that. I don't want that. You know how many times I said that to my parents? Never. Not the once. And my mum is a good cook today. But when I was a kid, we used to nickname some of her food, Mom's Homemade Muck. Uh, but I had to eat it. And you know what? It put me in good stead for being an adult. So now I can go anywhere and eat what's in front of me. And you know what? Here's the amazing thing. I never liked salmon. And I went to a friend's house for dinner and they made salmon. And I remembered Mum's homemade muck, Leanne, because I'd been parented properly and I would have got spanked on my little tush if I didn't eat what my mother made. So I carried that into my adult life and I'm looking down at this pink fish thinking, oh dear God. But I picked up my fork because that's what mama taught me and I ate it. You know what I realized? I like salmon. Amazing, amazing. Are we pandering or are we parenting? So stop making for excuses for children that you should be raising and training. And look, I'm not saying your kids are going to be perfect. My kids haven't been perfect, but it doesn't negate my responsibility to parent them. Who's the leader? Who's the parent? Who's the mom or dad? Who's the boss? You or them? You are. God gave our kids, our, our kids parents for a reason, because they need them. It's a reason when a baby's born, we don't drop him off in an apartment with a set of keys. We give him a mom and dad because God knows this is the key to you growing up rightly. But unfortunately, Samson's parents didn't view things this way and there was this inversion. And I wonder why there's, we wonder why there's so much confusion in the world. We've not taught our kids. We've given them options. Oh, oh sorry, what, what gender do you want to be? What have you decided for yourself? No, we tell them, we affirm. They ask questions, why, why, why? Well, let me tell you why. When you were born, the doctor said, it's a boy, and God hasn't changed his mind. When you were born, the doctor said, it's a beautiful little girl, and God didn't make a mistake. You may question it, but I'll come back at you with the truth. I'll come back at you with the truth. Oh, what do you feel like you are today? No. Don't pander. Parent. My, my youngest daughter, she's uh, 15 years of age, and honestly, I am so bad with the responsibility of raising a beautiful young woman, and I love her. She's, she's so wonderful, and, and definitely our journey as mother and child has been fraught with some interesting and challenging conversations, but, but I, like, I am so bad by the responsibility that God has put in my hands to raise this beautiful young woman right, and I'm not gonna mess it up if I have anything to do with it. This generation needs parents more than ever before. They don't need to be pandered. They don't need to be given a million options that, that ebb and flow concerning or, or change with the winds concerning how they feel that day. They need solemn parents who know how to raise them in the ways of the Lord. If we want to save Samson, we've got to get some gumption and start to parent and not pander. Second thought I have is this. Samson chose pleasure over purpose. Look at this. Judges 14, starting in verse 5. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother. Look, they're going with him. They're going with him to the land of the Philistines. All right, guys. When my child smokes marijuana, I want to be with them when they do it the first time. You idiot. You idiot. You're the parent. Lead them. Slap that joint out of their hand. 
So Samson goes down to Timnah with his mother and father. What is happening, America? And I took them to the surgery when they changed their gender. What? To support them? No, no. All right. And then they came to the vineyards of Timnah. Okay, all right. So what was the vow in his life? No grapes, no wine. Definitely no vineyards because they both hang out there, grapes and wine. So Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came to the vineyards. Now to his surprise, a young lion came roaring against him. Okay, so this is a warning from God. You're not meant to be here. But because he's still a young man and he's walking in the mercy and grace of God, the spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he tore the lion apart as one would have torn apart a young goat, though he had nothing in his hand. So his strength was there. He was walking in the mercy and the grace of God. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman and she pleased Samson well. I bet she did for a season. After some time, when he returned to get her, he turned aside to see the carcass of of the lion. Okay, what was the other law? He wasn't to touch anything dead, right? Okay, let's see what he does. And behold, a swarm of bees and honey were in the carcass of the lion. He took some of it in his hands and went along eating. When he came to his father and mother, he gave some to them and they also ate. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey out of the dead lion's carcass. So here's a man pulling, extracting something sweet out of something that is dead. So he's consistently playing around the edges. He's not meant to be near grapes. He's in a vineyard. He's not meant to touch anything unclean. He's pulling something sweet, my precious, out of something unclean. So he consistently is breaking the covenant and the command that God had put over his life. He's not thinking purpose. Oh, he was a man of prophecies and you can have prophecies spoken over your life as sure as the day is long. But are you living in such a way that they will be activated? I've had prophecies spoken over my life, but you know who can sabotage them? Me. I can sabotage them by the way I live. The Bible even tells us in the book of Corinthians and prophecies will fail. It's not that the word of God is a failure, it's that we don't align ourselves to be under the spout where the glory comes out and live in such a way where God, what you've spoken over my life, I'm gonna live up to. Instead, he lived for pleasure and not purpose. So here he is making compromise after compromise after compromise. I mean, the world is messed up. So, so I've got to think, I've got to assume that Samson saw God's laws as burdensome. And it can be kind of the blight of the kid who's raised in church. Oh, my God. We're going to go to church again. Oh, my God. The Ten Commandments. Oh, my God. So archaic. Oh, my God, Mom. So, so he didn't have an understanding. He didn't realize that his devotion to God and God's ways was actually what made him strong. He thought it was a weakness But God's saying, no, this is what makes you strong, your devotion and your commitment to me. And in this life, you will have pleasure, but get it rightly. Listen, I am a fun person. I know how to have a lot of fun, but I don't need to compromise the commands of God to do it. (laughs) I don't need to wake up with a head of regrets to have a good time. But he elevated his pleasure over his purpose. 
Let me, let me tell you a very shallow story that illustrates this principle in a very deep way. I was at dinner with my husband and my daughter Zoe, and we were at Ruth's Chris, because we love a good steak, and um, we were sitting in like the bar area because you don't need a reservation, we could just walk in, and they also have a bar menu, and on that bar menu is the world's best hamburger. Now listen, I love a hamburger, but I'm 49. I'm about to roll on into the 50s. So I don't have them as much anymore. So I'm sitting at the table. I have beautiful filet, side salad, happy as a pig in mud. And um, my daughter gets the burger. I looked at it. I said, Zoe, that looks amazing. You're going to love that. It was like it had everything on it you want, nothing you don't. And it was juicy and dripping and fries and all the sauce and all the things. Just, just show me something greasy and salty and my flesh wants it. I can say no to dessert all day long, but do not put a French fry near me. And, um, and Zoe goes, well, mom, why didn't you get one? You should have got one. And I said, no, no, it's okay. I don't eat burgers that much anymore. I only have them on special occasions. When it's my birthday, I'll have a burger. And she looks at me and she goes, mom, you're so mean to yourself. And I felt it hit me because when I get a criticism, I put it through the, the filter of, is this correct? Is this right? Do I need to... Do I need to hear this? And then when it went through the register, I'm like, no. I'm not mean to myself, Zoe. I have a vision for my future. I have a vision that means I say no to the burger today to say yes to the health of tomorrow because I don't want to roll myself into my 50s. So I'm going to make decisions in favor of the tomorrow I want. How many people have lost the vision? And if you read the end of Samson's life, he literally lost his vision, his sight. His eyes were plucked out of his head because they said yes to pleasure and no to purpose. How many men would lament the fact that they lost the vision of what they wanted their life to look like? I want to be married. Nobody stands at an altar thinking I'd love to have an affair with my secretary. Little compromises. Little flirtations, little messages, little, little notes, and then before you know it, they've lost the vision. They've, they've lost their legacy, they've lost their reputation, they've lost the respect of their kids and their colleagues and lost half their money because they said yes to pleasure and no to purpose. They elevated their pleasure above their purpose, and this is what Samson did. I... Um, I'll never forget the story of my friend Christian McCutton, who preached here a couple of Wednesdays ago. Now, he's amazing. He's a man of God. I remember one time he came to visit us many years ago, and he was traveling by himself without his wife and family. And he was on, uh, on the flight over, ironically on Virgin Airlines. And um, this woman, because you can apparently message between seats. So you can message between seats. And he's a good-looking guy. And he got this message from a girl a couple of rows back, propositioning him in a very vile way that no lady should ever speak. And then he, like, of course, ignores it, you know, doesn't, doesn't pay it any heed. The next thing he knows, he says he was asleep with his neck pillow on. There was a spare seat next to him. He wakes up. Somebody had ripped the neck pillow off, put it round, put it on her lap, and was sitting next to him and turns to him and goes, so how about it? Like, just, just, can you, the audacity. This is some girls today, guys. You've got to be very careful, all right? It's a messed up world. 
And so he looks at her and he goes, excuse me, I'm married. And she said, well, I don't care. And he goes, well, I do. So either you can leave willingly or I can get the hostess to escort you away from this seat. <laughs> so I want to tell you today, what did he have in his mind? Not momentary pleasure, but purpose, the vision. I don't want to train wreck my life. I'm not going to make a decision today that's going to train wreck my tomorrow. I was having coffee yesterday and, you know, the playlist... You know, playlists are already always going, like the background music. It's always there, and we normally don't pay attention to it. But all of a sudden, I started to pay attention to the lyrics of the song, and it was hilarious. And this is the messaging of the world that we need to, this is why we need to be in church, because the messaging of the world is subtle and, and insidious and everywhere. And all of a sudden, I started listening to the lyrics of the song, you know, All I Want to Do Is Make Love To You, that song from the 90s. I think it was Hart who sang it. And I start listening to the song. I listen to the lyrics. I'm like, oh my gosh. She slept with a hitchhiker. <laughs> the message of the song is she sleeps with a man who doesn't even own his own car. <laughs> now girls, I have a lot of standards when it comes to sexual intimacy. The, the most important, am I in covenant with the man? The least of which, does he have a car? <laughs> this is the messaging of the world and they're singing it and they're dancing to it and they're getting jiggy with it and they're doing all the things that the world does and oh God's the boring one, are you kidding me? Psalm 19, seven to nine, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. Who wants a refreshed soul? The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. Have we traded joy in our hearts because we've elevated pleasure above the God call on our lives? We've elevated pleasure above purpose. And not only do I need to live right for me because I want to have joy in my heart and I want to go to bed at night without being traumatized by all the things I did or didn't do, I need to live right for you. I want you to, to see me as an inspiring role model. I, I want you to see my life as something where I can say, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know, it was interesting that Samson's mother could not even partake in wine or touch anything unclean, or she had to take the vow while she was carrying Samson in her womb. What are you carrying that calls you to live differently. Oh, Pastor Yam, why don't you go there? Why don't you do that? Why don't you wear this? Why don't you? Because I'm called to live differently because of what I'm carrying. Oh gosh, I don't want the devil to steal my testimony because I couldn't say no to the flesh. Because I couldn't say, hey, that, that's not the way that I want to live. It may be screaming. My flesh may be asking for it, but it's going to say, I'm going to say, just speak to the hand because the face ain't listening because there's a call on my life that commands me to live differently. So there are some places I won't go. There are things that I won't watch. And it's not because I'm a weird prude. It's because I'm living for purpose. And my mind and my heart are too important and too valuable to defile them with things that God, God told me I shouldn't have or don't need to have. Amen.
Leanne. Wow. All right. I will drink to that. The third thought. He was called to be a savior, but he was selfish. One of the most crafty, insidious tricks of the devil, and the devil has no new tricks. He just has new victims. He just for a, looks for a new generation to defile with the same trap that he got Samson. He's looking for our hero generation, but we're not going to let him have them. But he was called to be the savior. He, he was called to be set apart, live set apart, live his life for God and bring rescue to an entire nation of Israel. He will save Israel from their enemies. But he was selfish. God gave him supernatural strength. You never see him using that strength unless it was accidentally to help Israel. He was always using his strength to be involved in petty fights, exacting vengeance on his enemy, like vendettas against people. We never see him sitting with the military commanders of Israel, saying, how are we gonna do this? God gave me a word. I, I was anointed and appointed and there's a prophetic word over my life and an angel visited my mom and, and I know that God has called me. How can we save Israel? Let's band together. No, he was a lone ranger. He didn't need anybody else. He did it his way and it didn't end well. He's constantly isolating himself. The only time we see him with people is when he was carousing with his drunk Philistine mates or, or hanging out with women that he shouldn't hang out with or being in places that he shouldn't be. We never see him using his God-given strength to build the kingdom of Israel. There's a story in Judges 15, starting in verse 1. It says this, After a while, in the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. Okay, so this is like the real housewives of the Old Testament. This takes wedding drama to a whole nother level. He gets separated from his wife on their wedding day, okay? This is, like, you think your family's crazy? It's got nothing on judges. And then so he comes to his wife's house and says to her dad, let me go in, into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I gave her to your companion. Is not her youngest sister better than she? Oh, the dysfunction is just everywhere. Please take her instead. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes. I mean, he's using his strength and his imagination to be an idiot. Like, imagine if he channeled this same energy, this same passion, this same strength, this same gifting to building the kingdom of God. Instead, he's getting 300 innocent little foxes. And as an animal lover, I must protest... And then he ties their tails together, and if that's not bad enough, he lights them on fire and sends them into the Philistine fields. He's creating problems for his people. He's meant to be a savior, but he's creating more messes than he's cleaning up. He's selfish. And one of the big lies of this generation is it's all about you. Selfishness on the rise. And really, we could jump back to the first point. He was pandered and not parented. So he grew up thinking his life, his world, this world was all about him. And guess what? No surprises when he grows up and it's all about him. And he uses his strength not to build the kingdom of God, but to exact vengeance and cause petty fights. He was called to be a leader, but he was no leader. 
Let's contrast him with two other heroes and a heroine in the book of Judges. So before Samson, we see Deborah. Deborah arose, a mother in Israel, and called out the strength in the commander of the army. Arise, Barak, son of Abinoam, for the Lord has given us victory. And then she put courage in people, and she strategized with the military leaders, and she put them around the water holes and told them, let's talk about stories of God's faithfulness till there's so much faith on the inside of you that we can storm the gates together, and that's what they did. Amazing. That's what it should look like. She used her strength, her supernatural strength, and God has given us each a supernatural strength in some area to build the kingdom of God to fulfill the purpose of God, and beautiful. And then at the end of Deborah's life, it says, um, and then the land was at peace for 40 years. This woman, because she surrendered her strength and her gifting and didn't live selfishly, completely changed the atmosphere of Israel for 40 years. She purchased peace for the nation of Israel for 40 years. Bravo, Deborah. Okay, then it goes on to Gideon. God has an encounter with Gideon, next hero in the story of Judges. And Gideon, you mighty man of valour, anoints him and appoints him. Prophetic word hanging over his life. And so what does Gideon do? He doesn't just sit back and go, geez, I got a good prophetic word on the altar by Rex Crane the other day. Yeah, I'm going to sit back and just enjoy and bask in the afterglow. You know what he did? He tore down the altar of Baal. He got men together. He got team. He inspired the leaders. Gideon's 300. And they completely changed the trajectory of Israel. And at the end of his life. And then Gideon died and rested with his fathers. And the land was quiet for 40 years. At the end of Samson's life, and Samson judged Israel for 20 years, period. Nothing changed. In fact, the next story after his life was about Micah's idolatry. All he did was set to motion a selfish, self-centered, idolatrous spirit over the nation of Israel. It's so sad. So many prophecies, so much strength, so much gifting, so much potential, but essentially wasted. He was called to be a saviour, but he lived far beneath his calling. He used his strength to serve himself. Probably the greatest example of this is found in the life of Jesus. In John 13, 3, it says, Jesus knew he had come from God and would go back to God. And he also knew that the Father had given him complete power. Complete power. So he knows. He's got the goods. He's the man of the hour. He is the anointed saviour in the room. So God has given him complete power. Do you know what happens after that verse, 13.3, 13.4? The Bible says, so he wrapped a towel around his waist and began to wash the disciples' feet. He illustrated to them, do you know what true power is? Serving your generation. Oh, you can use your gifting and your strengthening your whole life for yourself, but at the end of it, has the land been changed because of you? If we were to die tonight, would the land be different? I want them to say of Leanne Matesius, San Diego, no, the nation of America was different because she lived. It wasn't just, and Leanne Matesius was a pastor, period. And the land had quiet, the land was different. An entire generation got to live under an open heaven. The power of God returned to San Diego. People started to live righteously again. They started to live with purpose in mind and not just pleasure. They were pursuers of God. People were discipled. Lives 
lives were changed. If you were to die tonight, would San Diego, or at least the world that you're responsible for, be different? And then finally, the ultimate regression. And I wanna say this, when you have lived in compromise for so long, it's gonna feel so normal to you. And if you silence the voice of God for so long, you won't be able to hear it anymore. And here's what happens. Bible says that Samson went to Gaza and slept with a, with a prostitute there. So, you know, he's fully regressed. And here's what I think, and it was kind of a bit of a blight on the last generation, some of the ministers who thought they could live two lives. So I can have a church and I can have a congregation and over here I can have my sin and my habit and nobody will ever know. But, but God sees. God sees. You may be able to cheat men, but you can't cheat God. At some point, you're gonna, you're gonna pay the piper and this is exactly what happens in this part of Samson's story. The sword of Damocles is hanging over his head and that horsehair is about to break. Let's see what happens. Judges chapter 16. Afterward, it happened that he loved a woman in the valley of Sarek, again, the Philistines, whose name was Delilah. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, entice him and find out where his great strength lies and by what means we may overpower him. There's a powerful key in this for us. The devil will always exploit our weakness to steal our strength. He knows that your strength, no, I can't, that's a, that's a divine strength right there. In order to get their strength, I've got to exploit their weakness. I don't know what it is for you. For Samson, it was definitely the ladies. There's a saying in churches, be mindful of girls, gold, and glory. Maybe write those three things down. We all have our price, but instead of shoring up his weaknesses, Samson indulged them. And sadly, the enemy found an all too easy portal. So anyway, they, they bribe Delilah to bring him down, bring down the strong man, get rid of this threat. And so she, she engages, she's been sent by the enemy. And so the question to me is, Samson, we, we read his story, it's only three chapters, should have been a lot longer, should have been a lot more success in it, but sadly there wasn't because of how he lived. And I'm reading the story, and yes, he ends up having his eyes plucked out, but can I tell you, he lost his sight before he lost his vision. He was blind before they plucked out his eyes. So the devil introduces Delilah and he's like in their boots and all and he can't see it. And I'm reading the story and I'm like, how can you be so blind? I mean, it's, it's black and white, here she comes. Tell me the source of your great strength. Well, if you uh, put my hair in a loom, then my strength, I'll be as weak as any other man. So then the Bible says, and then she lulls him to sleep. And then she yells out, Samson, the Philistines are coming. And he wakes up and then he breaks through the loom. I'm like, okay, Samson, here's your sign. You wake up with your hair in a loom. How did you not know that this is a devil woman with evil on her mind? All right, you, you should have known this. And so then the fool stays. He's so blind. He can't see, he doesn't know he's about to lose the vision. And he hangs around and here she comes again. Oh, and now she starts pouting. Walks out in Victoria's Secret pouting. Tell me the source of your great strength. Well, if you tie my hair in 
braids with rope that has never, that has been washed and never been used before, then I will be as weak as every other man. And so she lulls him to sleep on her lap again. And then, Samson, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. Wake up. And he wakes up and his hair is in rope braids. I'm like, Samson, how do you not see what is so plain? But that's the deceitfulness of sin. You hang around in places you're not meant to be around in long enough and you won't even notice that the devil has got you in his trap, but it was too late. And then like any of us, if we hang around in the wrong place for too long, we get worn down. And at the end of it, she wears him down and he reveals the source of his strength. Again, she lulls him to sleep and he, she cuts off his hair because again, remember, he wasn't meant to cut his hair. And this was the last thing, by the way, the last covenant that he broke with God. He'd already touching dead things, already hanging around grapes, already involved in things that were unclean. And now the, the last frontier, my friends, I wanna say to you today, there's always redemption in God, but there is a last frontier. We, we, will, we will pay the piper. And a lot of Christians live in such a way as they don't ever think the consequences are gonna bite them, but they do. And at this point in Samson's life, he had to come to a reckoning with the fact that he'd been in disobedience to God's commands. And it all came down the pike for him. And the Bible says that the Philistines came in and they grabbed him and they took out his eyes and they brought him down to Gaza and they bound him with bronze fetters and he became a grinder in the prison. This is so sad to me. I don't want this to happen to our hero generation. I want so much better for our young people than being bound with fetters and grinding in a prison when there's so much prophetic utterance and declaration over their life that they would be the saviors of America. How do we save Samson? We don't pander, we parent. We teach them to elevate their purpose and the God vision, the God call on their life over pleasure. We help them to understand that this world, as much as they are a part of it, they aren't the center of it. Don't make your world all about you. There's a call on your life and it means you're gonna have to take up your cross and follow God and not be selfish. And then finally, let, let them see, let's show them, let's show them, see, see the enemy at work in our nation. See, 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 take heed and understand. The Bible says in James 4, seven to eight, submit to God, resist the devil and he must flee. And it's, it's a powerful, powerful scripture. But I love verse eight. It says, cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. What was Samson at the end of the day? Double-minded. I don't know what I wanna be. Do I wanna be a man of the world or do I wanna be the savior of Israel? So how do we save Samson? Well, I found a scripture in Revelation that I think is the antidote. Revelation chapter number three, starting in verse 14. To the angel of the church in Laodicea write, these are the words of the amen. In other words, God is amening himself on this one. The faithful and true witness, the ruler of God's creation, I know your deeds. And this is the word to, to our church, to the churches of America, that you are neither caught, hot, cold nor hot. I wish that you were either one. So because you are lukewarm, because you live in compromise, neither hot or cold, I am about to, I haven't yet, I am about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. Look how strong I am. I can 
slay a thousand Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey. I can pull gates out of their foundations and run them up to Hebron. I can tear a lion to part with my bare hands. But you do not know that you're actually wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. Here's the antidote. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire so you can become rich and white clothes to wear so you 